1: And welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the Lightly Competitive Knowledge Showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, coming to you with a new quality of audio. I'm not saying it's worse or better. I'm just saying it's new because I sat down to record this podcast and my computer gave what Apple calls a prohibitory symbol. So I got a prohibitory symbol, which is not a great, not great. It's just not great. It's overall not great.
2: (laughs) You got the Ghostbusters logo on your computer, yeah. and it means that it's fucked <laughs> up. A,
1: yeah, uh, my my computer is very afraid of ghosts. But I am joined by our resident science expert, Sari Riley. Hello, Sari should my Should my computer be
0: afraid of ghosts? Um, well, maybe if a ghost possesses your computer, then it'll start working again. But Like do fun, quirky things mm. to your files, so you won't have to put all your creative input into it. The ghost will also help, so probably not. That sounds
1: awesome. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm also joined by our resident everyman Sam Schultz. Sam, should my computer be afraid of ghosts? Absolutely. Everybody should be afraid of ghosts.
2: (laughs) They're all around us at all times, and they're watching, waiting until they can pierce the
1: veil and scare us. Uh, What's a worse outcome, really, then- oh!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, computer ghost. We welcome you but to the, the podcast. The here!
1: It's in the room! <laughs> oh, no. Oh, is that going to happen through the whole... How do I make that stop happening?
0: Well, you take a hammer.
1: <laughs> oh, God. There isn't much that is just more, just, like, stub your toe annoying than a computer that, like, yep. your job is to work. I cannot do shit without you. And it's like, I think that I've, I think I'm done. (laughs) I've lived a whole eight months and that was long enough Mm -hmm. uh, for me. And I'm going to need you to go through about 10 hours of solid work to try and fix me before you give up and get a new one. That's the worst part is
2: how weirdly physical trying to fix your computer is. And you're just like crawling all around it, pushing buttons and holding different key configurations. Yeah horrible
1: oh boy so uh every week here on tangents we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic and uh and being way too stressed out about the situation regarding the data on our computer right now. <laughs> our panelists are playing for glory. They're also playing for Hank Bucks, which I'll be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week, according to my show notes from Sari.
0: I wave to you, you wave to me. The wave goes through a crowd. We talk about the wavy sea or waves of grain and fields plowed. Waves propagate to and fro in brains and ponds and air. But to add some flair, let's go where electromagnetism is. It's pretty cool there. Imagine a guy (laughs) surfing on light. Their arms are out as if in flight. The peak to trough gives us amplitude. How bumpy the journey is for this dude. More extreme highs and lows (laughs) are what makes colors brighter. They tend to strut. While wavelength goes from peak to peak and helps determine frequency. If the waves go faster, the hertz are up but they can be long and gentle like a warm-up. And that's where all this stuff oh. gets weird, because <laughs> infrareds are longer and gamma rays are feared. Well, roses are red and physics is mathy. That's all I got. I'm not going down that pathy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> really, really
1: good. Yeah, I mean, that—that that is how I feel about waves, where it's like, okay, a wave. I've seen those, and then I can sort of like... Kind of get a sound wave, and then it's like, also, there are space waves in <laughs> space. And I'm like, shut up, go away, I'm done. Yeah,
0: yeah. or like thinking that a radio wave, like the wavelength is as long as a building. I'm like, what does that even mean? What? Is- what the heck? <laughs> I yeah. can't see it. I can't yeah, really imagine uh, it. <laughs> and
1: what, how are you picking that up? Mm-hmm. How is my radio picking up a building wave? Yeah. And also people now these days are always like, well, what you have to understand is particles are just excitations, like waves in fields, just field excitations. I'm like, no, I'm not just excitations in a field. And if I am, I don't I don't want to know about it.
0: Are you (laughs) saying everything is waves? Yeah, everything's kind of waves. Everything's kind of particles and everything's kind of waves. Uh That's the wave particle duality. And that's all we're going to say about that.
1: Is that a real thing?
0: The wave particle <laughs> duality. Yeah, uh, a lot of people yeah. asked about that for the science couch. But as I wrote mm-hmm. in my email, Hank and I are not great physicists, so <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we cannot <laughs> tackle that. We need a Henry um, if we're gonna yeah. shed some light on that.
1: Yeah, I once wrote a I wrote once wrote a song about quarks and uh, and I performed it on stage at VidCon <laughs> and I came backstage and Henry was like, "Love that song." Can I go over the ways in which it is incorrect? (laughs) 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 Henry, if you don't know, is the the guy from Minute Physics, Henry Reich. Uh, And what a lovely man he is. So the topic for the day is waves. Sari has given us a poem about waves, and now it's time for Sari to tell us what a wave is.
0: So I think a wave, like a hole, this, this, is a, this is another one. Whoa! Uh, Excuse me. <laughs> in, in the way that the whole episode was like, you know a hole when you see it. You know a wave yeah. when you see it. It's like, sure. uh-huh. it's wavy. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to describe it with scientific terms, then it is, this is the phrase that I found, a propagating dynamic disturbance of one or wow. more quantities. Oh. So it's mm-hmm. a disturbance from... An equilibrium that, like, f- fluctuates and, and and changes. And it can either be something that moves, like how an ocean wave moves, or it can be a standing wave, which is like plucking a guitar string that stays in place.
2: And what does the propagating part of that mean? It
0: means that, like, it, it, the wave it waves. It goes? <laughs> like, that, okay, that, cool. I'm making a hand <laughs> That's kind of what I thought. The propagating yeah. means that the wave moves somewhere. So like in the way that sound waves travel, we say waves like sound waves travel through air or radiation travels or you can see ocean waves move. Thank you, (laughs) Hank's computer ghost. Do you have anything else to add?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The computer ghost just wants to say boom. Oh, good Lord. Uh, it's time to find out the etymology of the word wave.
0: I thought it was going to be another one of the, like, we looked at a thing and it was like, oh, wave. But it seems like multiple words converged into into wave. So there's wave, huh. the noun, uh, which came mm-hmm. from water. How, old High German, wag. Old Frisian, wag. Old Norse, vager, which means water in motion or wave. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh-huh. like, the noun of a wave, we were like, ah. There is a wave, Right. but the verb wave came from moving back and forth or to weave. So like in the way that you wave your hand, you're like weaving your hand in the air. And so you're moving your hand to and fro. And then they, I guess they looked at the ocean and were like, "Huh, that kind of moves to and fro as well. So <laughs> yeah. let's uh, let's
2: they were thinning out the English language a little yeah. bit. They were pruning. Right.
1: Well, weird. That's like that's pretty cool. I like that. And now, that, and now that we know all of that, thank you, Sari, for doing a lot <laughs> of the heavy lifting for this episode. That means it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, it's time to play Truth or Fail. The most famous supersonic commercial airplane was the Concorde. And that Concorde and all supersonic things go faster than the speed that, the, that waves travel through air on our planet. And uh, the Concorde began flying in the 1970s, and it reached speeds up, up to 1,350 miles per hour, and it was retired in 2003. Now, there are some people who are trying to make supersonic aircraft happen again, but as a supersonic aircraft pro- approaches the speed of sound, it creates abrupt changes in the air around it, which creates shockwaves that are audible as sonic booms, and supersonic commercial flights like the Concorde operated for a long time, but they mostly flew over the ocean. And they didn't really take off in the US from, like, you know, find a New Yorker to, to Los Angeles or something. But it's not for a lack of trying. In the 1960s, the FAA ran an experiment on the effects of hypersonic flight that ultimately doomed supersonic commercial flight in the US, at least for now. Huh. The following are descriptions of three experiments, one of them is real. Number one, the FAA had several supersonic flights take off every day for six months over Oklahoma City, Oklahoma to test the local residents' willingness to put up with regular sonic booms. And when residents complained about the stress of the noise and damage to their homes, public opinion began to shift against supersonic flights or... Experiment number two. To study the effect of hypersonic flight on the weather, the FAA flew a commercial prototype as many times as they could in a day before the shockwaves began to affect local cloud formations in Seattle, Washington, with a maximum of three flights per day when you when you could fly. So there were some days when they decided they couldn't fly. And the aircraft was deemed economically unviable for widespread commercial use. Or... Experiment number three. During the fall, the FAA set up flights in Trenton, New Jersey, to assess the effect of sonic booms on local geese population as they migrated south for the winter. While ornithologists reported that no geese were struck and killed by the planes, the birds did, however, have difficulty navigating, which they attributed, the scientists, not the birds, to <laughs> sonic booms interfering with signals that the birds needed to navigate. So was it, we tested the people of Oklahoma City to see if they could handle the sonic sonic booms, or 2 we tested the people of Seattle to see how they felt about the extra clouds that were created or 3 we tested the geese of Trenton, New Jersey to see if how they were affected by the sonic booms. It made more clouds? It made more clouds, yes. Oh. Which in Seattle you wouldn't think possible, but like when you only <sighs> no. got like 10 sunny days a year.
0: It clears up. That's the great myth of Seattle, is that it's it's <laughs> gloomy all the time. That's what they tell people to stay away. I mm. lived
2: there as well, and it's gloomy all the time. Ah. It rains so much. I know everybody's like, you can't have an umbrella. What are you?
0: Oh, yeah, you can't carry an umbrella. You're a wimp if you carry an umbrella. You are not. Why? It rains all the time I there. I don't know. You wear a in New That's York it. carry
2: umbrellas. <laughs> it rains a lot there, too. Get over yourself, Seattle. <laughs> okay, well, I don't think... Ugh, I don't know. The goose one... On the one hand, I feel like nobody would give a shit about a bunch of geese.
1: People give so much shits about geese. Yeah. We have laws in the U.S. that are like, you can't. Right.
2: That's what I was going to say. I feel like enough people would go in front of Congress and be like, these geese are in trouble. That Congress would be like, oh, fine.
0: I think sometimes scientists think more about geese and wildlife than people. Depends on what the study is. The, The geese seems more likely than asking the residents of Oklahoma City to me. You think so? Yeah, I just can't imagine them being, like, I, I think they would just let them, let them have it. I guess so, yeah, like, to ground
2: something that could be commercially viable and make people a lot of money. Seems like... Mm,
1: that is a, good you know, if there's a lot of money involved, eventually the geese become less important, it's true. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but people are also unimportant in that metric, so
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't
2: know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, this, is, this has always led me astray, but I'm gonna stick with my guns. I've never heard of the Seattle thing. And I feel like my dad or one of my grandparents would have freaking complained about it Mm -hmm. to me. Be like, did you know (laughs) there were these Mm -hmm. sonic booms causing extra rain? That seems
2: like it would come up as like on Jeopardy or as a Snapple fact or something, you know? Yeah.
0: Like in the way that I know, I was going to say that I know things about Macklemore. The only thing I know about Macklemore is that he comes from Seattle.
2: Uh (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
0: Then I was like, I know Seattle things, but. Right. uh, Well, I
2: think I'm going to go with the goose thing. I do think enough people could raise a stink about geese. Okay.
0: I was going to go with the goose. I'm going to go with the goose goose thing too.
1: Uh, We have a goose and we have a goose. And I I don't know what happened, but it seems like you forgot the actual answer existed at all, which is the people of Oklahoma City. Oh. So we've got got a bunch of losers in the room, (laughs) except for me. (laughs) But yeah, so it, tur- it turns out that people are very uh resistant to the idea of having lots of explosions all day long, sure, yeah, but also uh they had to live through up to eight sonic booms every day, and the also my favorite part of this is that the the experiment was called Operation Bongo 2) <laughs> <laughs> it's possible because it is a roman numeral too that it was actually called operation bongo the second i think it's probably <laughs> operation bongo Two, but i'd prefer it be called operation bongo the yeah. second now the reason they did this is because there was an air force base nearby and and mm. like 25 percent of the jobs in oklahoma city at that time were in aircraft manufacturing huh. so like it's the it's the place in America where people are most likely to be in favor of new kinds of airplanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but within the first week, there were 655 complaints. By the end of the experiment, there were 15,000 formal complaints sent to the Air Force and the FAA. And they included uh, broken china, broken mirrors, for which oh. people were reimbursed, and... While mm. people did complain, 75% of the people responding to a survey about their experiments said that they could learn to live with eight sonic booms per, be- per oh, day. come on. But there was a guy who was quoted in the New York Times about the tests and said, maybe you could get from here to New York in an hour, but I don't want to live that fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do they still fly the Concorde at all? No, no, the Concorde has been totally retired. That's what I thought. Ultimately, it turns out <laughs> 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 it'll it'll stop eventually. I promise. <laughs> Ultimately, it turns out that it's better to just like like if you have a bunch of money, it's better to like sit around and get taken care of for eight hours than it is yeah. to get to to London really fast.
2: That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Can I ask a question that might be too complicated to answer? Wow. Why does a sonic boom, why is, does it happen?
1: I'll try the basics. Okay. The basics is that like the jet is making a noise, but the jet is pushing through the, the wave front of the noise. So all of the noise as a, as a plane oh. is traveling faster and faster, mm-hmm. that sort of Doppler effect is making it so that all of the, the noise that's coming from the engines and going forward is getting compressed into a more and more compressed area because it's like the noise is happening and these are actual physical waves in the air. So the noise is happening, oh, okay. but they're getting pushed into a smaller and smaller physical space. And then eventually when you break the speed of sound, that wavefront of really compressed sound waves like breaks apart and get like there's just a lot of a lot of turbulence that occurs because of that. And okay. that is just that that becomes a very loud noise. So there were some grains of truth here. The geese, not a thing, but there in 1997, there was some thought that there, there was this like homing pigeon race and they had the pigeons had to go over some of the same area that the Concord was going over. And it seemed like they lost a lot more pigeons that year. Oh, they just no. like didn't arrive. They didn't die. They just like oh. got confused and didn't go to the right oh, place. Okay. And the ones that did arrive, arrived more slowly than usual. So that, but that to me is like, there's not a lot of strong data on that one. Yeah. And then as far as cloudiness, that was just made up though. There, there is like a sort of very special cloud that can form in the very low pressure areas when there is a sonic boom happening, when there, hmm. there's hypersonic travel happening, because the, as the, as the air creates this vacuum, it condenses a bunch of water. Wow. All right, so that means we're going into the break with zero-zero tie. After the break, it'll be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, Who's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things, is a very important thing called eating dinner to eat dinner. One must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then <sighs> buy this stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to this stuff. You have to heat this stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards you have to,
0: Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented all their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. To decide who goes first, I have a trivia question for you. Tsunamis are a series of waves generated by the displacement of a lot of water, usually by earthquakes or volcanic eruptions. And the Circumpacific Belt, also known as the Ring of Fire, is a loop around the Pacific Ocean famous for earthquakes and active volcanoes. What percentage of tsunamis occur within the Pacific's Ring of Fire?
2: I mean, I am just going to say 100%.
1: Oh wow! It seems like dying. tsunamis
2: only happen in one very, like a very specific part of the world.
1: A hundred percent is uh, is un- unusual in nature. You yeah. <laughs> don't tend to get hundred percent.
2: Well, a hundred percent of clouds are in the sky, Hank. So you know, well, fog a cloud oh no. Fog oh no oh no <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's probably clouds underground somewhere too huh?
1: <laughs> it, yeah underground Shoot. clouds also yeah. okay. there's hey the uh there are some stadiums that have clouds in them because they're so big uh, is that the sky it's not the sky if it's in a stadium
0: well okay. is the sky anything that's not the ground
1: yeah it is, is. the
0: sky anything <laughs> that is not the ground do I do I have sky
1: in my mouth?
0: Uh-huh. That's that's like the next you have stardust within you. You have a sky in your mouth. <laughs> eat the sky, bitches! <laughs> just wake up every morning and just eat the sky.
1: <laughs> Take a bite out of the sky. Well, Sari, you can go ahead and say 99% and win. Oh, I uh, wow. want it to what? be a
0: I want it to be a I want you to do math. Uh I'm gonna say 75%.
1: Well, Sari not only wins but was exactly correct. (gasps) I mean, not exactly, but like to two significant figures, (laughs) you were exactly correct. (laughs)
0: 75.000.
1: How how does anyone live without understanding significant figures? It sounds very hard to me. Uh... Sam? What is it? <laughs> I just wanted to know, how do you get by? How do you get by it without- It
2: seems like I'm doing fine, but there could be something I'm missing that I didn't know about till just now.
0: You just, you live a little less precisely. A little bit more like yeah. that guy in Oklahoma who doesn't want to be fast.
1: Oh, sorry. It was about 80%. Sorry. I, where do I get 75% from? <laughs> oh, it's, it, it is estimated that the Ring of Fire is home to 75% of the world's active volcanoes. Oh. And it's responsible for about 90% of the world's Mm. earthquakes, 80% of... The tsunamis. You know. Sorry, Sarah. Volcano, I'm sorry that gave tsunami, a, potato, I led you, potato. I led
0: you
2: It's too complicated <laughs> to edit any of that out. So it's no, just staying in.
1: <laughs> definitely leave it in, especially because we got to, to to talk about precision because yes. everybody loves significant figures.
2: Envy, mean to me. So two things you guys like to do.
0: <laughs> and the audience loves it too. Uh, Sari,
1: who do you want to go first?
0: Well, I'll go first and pull off the Band-Aid. The Ruffed Grouse is a... <laughs> Sorry. Go Thank again. you, computer ghost. The ruffed grouse is a chunky, one-ish pound ground-dwelling bird that has evolved to camouflage with bark and fallen leaves. It's also called a partridge and is a common bird targeted by hunters. And unlike birds that use complicated songs to communicate with each other, ruffed grouse are pretty vocally silent. They have a couple quiet alarm-type calls when there's danger afoot or to get the attention of babies. And like I said, they're camouflaged to be grayish-brownish and don't have flashy colors to woo each other either, so their mating routines involve some very weird sound waves. When males are trying to attract a mate, they make a loud noise with their wings, like lawnmower motor struggling to start loud. They hop on a log that becomes a sort of home base for the rest of their life. So big decision there and then rotate and flap their wings so fast, like 50 times in eight to 10-ish seconds, that they create little sonic booms, basically pushing the air molecules aside so fast in the way that a plane would, um, faster than the speed of sound, that they form small shock waves. These little sonic booms echo out for a quarter of a mile or more, so not quite as explosive as the thunderclap of an aircraft, but it can still be quite confusing in the middle of the woods. These intense wing flaps take a ton of energy to do, but it's worth it because of passing on their genes. And while these low sounds are clear mating signals to other grouse and easily hearable by humans, it's thought that they're either too low frequency or difficult to pinpoint to attract their non-human predators like owls. So even though these waves are super loud with a high amplitude, uh, the frequency, uh, the low wavelength of the ruffed grouse sounds could keep them safe. And I have a sound to share with you so that you can listen to it.
2: Yes, we have a clip, and it was recorded by Nathaniel H. Taylor and comes to us courtesy of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Macaulay Library. He's just going absolutely ham.
1: That was nice. That's kind of relaxing.
2: This is a question I thought up about crickets the other day. Crickets would be making sound and then you'd be like, ah, I like to eat crickets. I'm going to go to where the cricket sound is and eat it. Is it the same deal where they're just making a sound that you can't, that like things that would
1: eat them can't really find?
0: That is my guess.
1: I know that it's very hard to find a cricket. It tends to be that that noise is difficult to locate in my experience, Mm. but I I am a human, not a uh, snake or a lizard or bird. Yeah.
0: Allpestpros.com says most predators are active during daylight hours, which is why crickets chirp at night. And then if they Mm. feel uh, slight vibrations in the air, then they go quiet. So maybe the predators can't hear the chirps, but they're just like, got to be quiet now.
1: All right. Sam, what do you got for us? Great
2: bird, Sari, by the way. So now I'm going to try to talk about the, the how reflections work, and we'll see if I understood correctly you got how that. they worked. So in waves, I, maybe any kind of wave, I don't know. Sound wave and light wave is what I'm talking about. Bounce mm-hmm. off a the surface. They bounce at the angle that they hit the surface. So when you look in a mirror, you see your own face because the light waves are bouncing off your face into the mirror, then back into your eyes. Is that how a mirror works? Yeah. Then when you look in a mirror at an angle, you see stuff way over there because it's hitting it at an angle and then bouncing Mm -hmm. into your eyes. Mm -hmm. Cool. So sound and light both do the same thing, basically. If you are able... Though, to break the laws of reflection and make waves bounce off at like specific angles instead of the angle they hit an object, you could divert sound and light in all kinds of crazy ways and do stuff like maybe make things perfectly silent or perfectly invisible. And because perfect invisibility and perfect silence are both very cool and very useful, mostly maybe for like the military, but hopefully for (laughs) other reasons too, (laughs) there are lots of researchers working on how to make that happen. So there's one way I read about that was kind of wild sounding. Researchers set up a maze for sound waves and they shot a sound wave through it. And inside the maze, there were tons of tiny speakers that would shoot other sound out and literally smack into the sound wave. And make it like go through this maze and it would redirect the sound wave and it would come out the other side having lost none of its energy somehow and yet sounded the same as going in. But this tiny speaker method would require basically lots of tiny speakers to be everywhere on everything that you wanted to soundproof and that gets impractical really fast. So, researchers at Duke University came up with a different solution that they called the metamirror. And this ain't your father's mirror. So instead of preventing waves from hitting it, like the tiny speaker method, uh, the metamirror has sound hit its surface, but its surface is covered in extremely tiny, intricate grooves that are etched in a way that mimic the shape of the sound wave. So the Mm. grooves are precisely designed to change the direction of the reflection of the sound wave and not absorb any of its energy. So I think they're like little slides or like ramps that the sure. that the sound waves hit and they physically like are curved to maintain the curvature of the sound wave. So the effect of this is that sound waves can be like directed in any direction the researchers choose without changing the amplitude or frequency or anything like that of the sound. So right now they're all 3D printed pieces of plastic. So you can pretty much only shoot them with like one specific sound and have them go one specific direction, but they're working Mm -hmm. on adaptive surfaces. So that anything it, it would hit it and it would automatically know to like change shape to match that sound and bounce it any direction that you wanted it to go. And as mm. far as applications go, you could use meta-mirrors for like noise cancellation and soundproofing, which they're especially good at because they can be made to absorb certain sounds and bounce others out. Mm. So you can make like really good speakers that wouldn't have any kind of like crackle or anything like that. It would just bounce out all the good sounds and none of the bad sounds. Uh, and redirecting sound waves is cool. But this team is also looking into redirecting light waves with metamirrors. So they can't really do it yet because they're just 3D printing stuff and it'd have to be so, so small, I guess, because light waves are way smaller. Is that or like they're tighter? Yeah. So the grooves have to be way smaller. But if they could come up with an adaptive light reflecting surface that could redirect light anywhere they wanted to, they could potentially make like a perfect cloaking device where you'd look at something and it would just be completely
1: invisible. Like with mirrors specifically, I can imagine that being just the weirdest thing to look at. Uh-huh. With sounds, I'd be like, I could imagine it being useful, but with a mirror, I, I, I'm just like, wow, if that is actually a thing that would be possible, yeah, I can imagine just going insane looking at that thing.
2: I think they like th- one of the things they were talking about was they can make a mirror that you'd look in and you wouldn't be able to see yourself, but you could see everything else around you, which would be horrifying. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, not particularly useful, but certainly all of these things are useful for hiding things that the military doesn't want you to see. Yeah. Really looking forward to the future <laughs> where I can where I can be l- literally not trust my senses at all.
2: Yeah, well, maybe it'll <laughs> so, be fun at like Disney World too. The with Disney yeah, World and the absolutely. military, yeah. you know? Yeah,
0: pretend to be a vampire, and then also oh, yeah. there could be yeah. a person around you at any time and you wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. So we have the rough grouse, Creating tiny sonic booms as part of their mating routine, which I can barely believe, or the meta mirror, which breaks the rules of reflection and could be used to make things invisible or insoundable. Uh, inaudible, <laughs> I guess is the word with that. No, I like yours better. <laughs> I'm going to go, since you guys are tied, I'm going to call it for Sari because That's I fine. think it is so strange that This grouse, which does not, let's admit, look particularly <laughs> impressive, not really can break the speed of sound just <laughs> for foreplay reasons.
0: Okay.
2: Hell yeah, that's great. That's I like, I'm behind this decision yeah. 100%. Every
0: time you hear yeah. a partridge in a pear tree, just imagine him just flapping. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, waves is one of those topics that's hard as hell for dumb guys like me, so. I should you pick did, great. Better you in, did the I smartest guy the fact future. of the pod. I know, but sometimes that's a problem. I need to stick with the animals. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, it needs to be related to a mating ritual or else.
2: That's my rule. <laughs> that too, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time to ask the science couch where we've got listener questions for our virtual couch of finally honed scientific minds. This one's from at Hannah G at 0913. How do underwater waves work and how did we discover them? Underwater waves. So are we talking about underwater sound waves? I assume. No,
0: not underwater sound waves. Oh. Like underwater oh. waves that basically look like the waves on the surface.
1: Oh, oh.
2: tell me more, Sari, because I know nothing about this. <laughs> yeah, we didn't discover them. Me and Hank didn't.
0: I Well, I discovered, Sari Riley discovered them because Hannah G0913 asked about them. <laughs> 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 but actually, they are very hard to monitor, because we don't do a bunch of intense underwater measuring uh, because we don't do a lot of like construction underwater very often or travel underwater. And so we, we know a lot more and we do a lot more measuring of the atmosphere than we do the deep ocean. And, and so underwater waves were actually like theoretical and, and calculated. Like people assumed that because there are different current movements under the water, then there may be waves down there. And then they made, did a bunch of math, and we're like, "Huh, yeah, there are probably waves down there." And then, starting around like the last decade or so, it seems like people are actually measuring them and finding regions of the ocean to measure them in, such as in the Luzon Strait, a body of water that stretches about 200 miles between Taiwan and the Philippines, where some of the most powerful underwater waves are generated. These waves are called underwater waves or internal waves or internal gravity waves or abyssal waves in various studies. And to my understanding, there were no pictures of them, which makes sense because no one's got like a camera (laughs) down under the water. (laughs) If you imagine an ocean wave on the surface, like it comes up and comes down uh, Mm -hmm. and the water is interacting with the air. In the way that the water and air are the two different mediums there, you have to imagine that there is, like, a saltier chunk of water and a less salty mm. chunk of water, or a low-temperature chunk of water and a high-temperature chunk of water. And for for the purpose of your mental image, one can be blue, one can be red. And mm. the blue one is waving, like, creating waves through the red one in, like, the wave motion, which is different than just, like, a current flowing in any direction because it, like adheres to the properties of oh. a wave as it would exist on the surface of a pond or an ocean. And so it's because of these like harsh boundaries between colder and less cold water and saltier and less salty water that that can be detected instrumentally. And these underwater waves are generated by the same things as surface waves, just that propagate downward like tides. So gravity pulling on various bodies of water from the moon and then winds blow the surface and that propagates downward and these waves in addition to other currents that are are through the ocean help with the circulation of sediments and pollution and nutrients throughout the ocean and is also they're a really important piece in climate modeling and that's why a lot of people are studying them right now because we know the ocean ends up capturing a lot of the carbon in the atmosphere but also just a lot of the heat like the ocean is a heat sink and it moves the temperature mm-hmm. around, moves the heat around. The group of scientists that are interested in hydro engineering or or like the, the movements of the ocean are saying that our global climate models are inaccurate because we haven't entirely captured the the underwater waves and like the effect that these really huge like they they reach heights of 170 meters, and can travel at a leisurely pace of a few centimeters per second. So there's these like gentle giants propagating throughout the oceans that are moving things around that we don't necessarily always take into account if we assume that the ocean is either static or just moving along the currents that we already know of.
2: It's a whole new bunch of complications to the ocean. It was already hard enough. Yeah.
0: We continue to find things that we do
1: not know, which is great because before we knew about them, then we definitely couldn't model them. Yeah. But now that we do, we're like, dang it.
2: Yeah, come on.
1: <laughs> it'd, be better, it'd be better if you just ha- hadn't showed up. Thank you very much.
2: We need to start being able to talk to whales or something. They can be like, just tell us what's going on down there, whales. And yeah, I'm sure they And they can give us the, the input or what we yeah. need to know.
0: <laughs> Our whale colleague, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Orr. Dr. Whale. Dr. Whale, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Euphonia53, at XbreeAsh, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, even though it didn't maybe sound like it usually does, uh, it's really easy to do that. First, you can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents to become a patron and get access to things like our free newsletter and also bonus episodes. What did we decide the new podcast was called? Peepee Poop Yeah, Poopy Peepypedia. Great. Thank you. I'm so glad that you remembered. that. And, <laughs> I can never I'm forget I'm sure it. you're very disappointed that <laughs> you did. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. It also helps other people know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for show Tangents, just Tell Tell people, people about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes. Our social media organizer is Paolo garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph tuna Medish, And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted.
2: But, one more thing. Many home plumbing systems feature a vent stack. I know mine does. A pipe that connects to the outside to allow gas from our waste, aka the bad poop smells, to vent outside instead of in our homes. However, this means that on a windy day outside, the air speeds up, which in turn lowers the air pressure in the pipe and pulls on the water in the toilet. So if you want to take a little beach vacation and see some waves, you can just open up your toilet on a windy day. Uh, And you can maybe possibly see some waves in your very own toilet.
1: That's good because it also answers a question that people often have. Why on earth is my toilet moving?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not a toilet ghost. That's super weird. Do people Mm -hmm. ask that? I've never noticed. I don't really sit and look at my toilet all that often and consider it.